Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In many parts of the world, military coups are a regular occurrence. Sometimes civilian governments are overthrown by the military. Other times, a military regime gets overthrown by another military regime. You find that often in Africa. In the last two years or so, there have been at least three military coups in West Africa that I know about. There has been intense pressure on the military leaders, leaders by the regional organizations to which those countries belong to organize elections quickly and hand over to a civilian government. It has not been successful so far. Can you tell I follow news from Africa? Because of the internet, it is much easier to do so. I pay more attention, of course, to Ghana. The last successful coup in Ghana was in 1981. The leader of that military regime ruled for 11 years, and then under a new constitution, he became the civilian president for another eight years, two consecutive four-year terms. But he was term limited, so he had to give up. He always complained that he did not like democracy, but he realized he didn't have much of a choice. It was time for him to leave, so he did. The leaders of these military coups often gave some reasons, the same reasons why they had to overthrow a government. They could not go wrong with those. They said the coups took place because of corruption. They also said they were because of economic hardship and oppression. A group of people has been on trial now in Ghana for over a year for plotting to overthrow the current civilian government using the same accusations against the government, corruption, economic hardship, and oppression. People have been complaining about the government, so the group was going to take advantage of that, but they were not successful. People often support these coups because they can feel the economic hardships and know about the corruption. For those reasons, anyone who comes to power through these violent means gets the support of the people. Soon enough, though, they realize that the so-called liberators were there to enrich themselves, their families, and their cronies. They become worse than the governments they overthrow, so that people turn against them. They resist them, but their resistance is met with brutality, sham trials, and imprisonment. When I read a text like the one we have today from 1 Peter, I think about oppressive governments and governments whose policies make life hard for the people. And I wonder how Christians should live under such governments. My natural inclination is to think that they should be strongly resisted. Some will say that they must be resisted by any means possible. When I was a college student, we walked and ran to the seat of government about 10 miles away to protest. We were met with armed police and soldiers. Some of those leading us sustained injuries. After the government received our petitions and made some promises, they would offer us bus, bus rides back to campus. We took them because we were so exhausted. That happened several times. This portion of Peter's letter takes me back to my time in college. 
My initial thinking is that if Peter had lived under a corrupt and oppressive government, he would have known not to tell the Christians in exile to be submissive to the government. He would have told them to do everything they could to get back their freedom. He would have told them to resist. But he did not do so. He did not tell them to resist or fight, but rather to submit to every human authority. But then I realized he had lived under an oppressive government, the Roman Empire and even the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. And he did not rebel himself nor take part in a rebellion. He may not have liked them, but he did not call for them to be overthrown. There is no record of him organizing to get the oppressive government to, or to get the oppressive government overthrown. Instead of any natural inclinations he might have had to actively resist the government, he served as an apostle of Christ and preached the good news with the hope that people would turn and follow Jesus. Jesus had freed him for that purpose. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, Peter and the other disciples had the audacity to proclaim the good news about Jesus everywhere and especially in the temple. Peter and John performed miracles there, healing a man who had been born crippled. They were arrested and jailed overnight. The following day, they were brought before the Sanhedrin, who charged them not to preach again in the name of Jesus. Peter replied that they could not comply with that order because it was not right to listen to them instead of God. Peter and the other disciples did not engage in civil disobedience, nor did they plot to overthrow the Sanhedrin. They just continued to preach the good news about Jesus. They continued to preach and teach and heal. As a result, some even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that as Peter came by, his shadow might fall on them and heal them. Others had demons cast out of them. The authorities arrested them and put them in prison again. But during the night, an angel opened the prison doors and told them to go right back into the temple and preach the good news. They were found the following morning and brought back before the council. They were reminded of the previous strict charge not to teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than human beings. So Peter's charge to the exiles to serve the government, even submit to, uh, to them, is in line with what he himself did. It is in line with the gospel. It is in line with what Christ himself did and how he lived his life while he was on this earth. Jesus lived under an oppressive government, but no one can say he was an angry man. He lived humbly and he loved everyone, even those who persecuted him. He lived a perfectly good life before God and the people. My initial thinking has to be informed by what God wants. And Peter articulates that clearly. Yet he did not stop there. He did not only write about submitting to the authority of the government. If he was all about only serving humbly under the government, Peter's letter would have been inadequate. The portion of the letter that we have read today was also about how the exiles should live with their neighbors in the places where they were currently living. They should live in a manner that honors the God they believed in, even in the face of their current difficulties and challenges. 
Some of them had become slaves. It was an unjust situation. Still, they were to live as if they were not slaves and to serve to the best of their abilities. Some of them would have had different vocations, those that were better than being slaves. Peter encouraged them also to serve in those vocations honorably. All of them would live as free people because in Christ they had a freedom that could never be taken away, not by their current location nor their current situation that they find themselves in. It is very likely that the people among whom they were living were not Christians. So they might view the Christians negatively simply because they were exiles and foreigners. So the exiles, in return, might not care how they lived among them. Peter said that should not be the case. Instead, they should live their lives in an honorable manner, in such a good way that the citizens of those places may not have bad things to say about them. They were to live that way so that, even if the people did not believe in Jesus Christ like they did as Christians, they might, they might not falsely accuse them of doing wrong. So even though the unbelievers might not know the true God, when they see the exiles and foreigners who believe in God and live in a way that honored and respected their God, they might conclude that this has made a difference in their lives. A difference that will make it hard, hard for them to think that the God whom they worship, the Christians worshiped was not a good God. Actually, Peter was hoping that the conduct of these Christians might lead those who did not believe to faith in Jesus. It might lead them to faith because they might be curious as to how the Christians were able to live such honorable lives in spite of the hardships that they faced. They might ask questions about that, and the resulting conversations would give the Christians the opportunity to tell their neighbors about Jesus and what he has done for the world, and the certainty of the hope they had in him to come again and make all things new, free from corruption, free from oppression, and free from economic hardship. That might lead those who did not yet know and believe in Jesus to come to faith in him. Leading people by word and deed to Jesus should always be the Christian's intention. They had been freed for that purpose. Peter wanted this to happen before Jesus comes again. That is what he means when he writes that the people might glorify God on the day he visits. The only reason people will glorify God on that day is because they would have come to believe in him, the same God that the Christians believed in, and they will all together receive him with joy. Otherwise, there will be no joy for them at all on that day. Peter encourage the Christians to live as free people, but not to use their freedom as a cover-up to live to please themselves. True freedom has been won for them by Christ, and their being in exile cannot change that. They should live as people owned by God. To be owned by God is a good thing. Nobody owns them but God. What Peter says to the exiles, he says to you, and to me as well. You are free people, the freest of people in the world, because God himself has made you free. Martin Luther once wrote, 
A Christian is a free lord over all things, subject to none. A Christian is a bound servant of all things and subject to everyone. He based these two propositions on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, that reads, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And from Romans chapter 13, verse 8, that reads, Owe no one anything but love one another. It is the same thing Peter is saying in his letter. You can tell then that the freedom to live and the freedom to serve are very important to God for you and for me. All this is simply saying that God has made you free for a purpose. He has made you free to be able to live under a government whose policies you may not like. Some may even be clearly against what the Bible teaches. Love for Jesus makes you willing to serve under the government, not because you like the government, not because you must, but because you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Like Peter in Acts, if the government orders you to do something against God's, God's law, then you too can refuse because you must obey God rather than human authority on such issues. Still, pray for the government and the people who do not believe in God. Pray that someone will have a change of heart and come follow Jesus like you do. Of course, we ourselves must not indulge our sinful nature under the guise of the freedom that we have by living without repentance. It is not just some entity outside of us that causes us to want to live to do what pleases us, but our own selves. It is our own selves that wants to get even. It is our own selves from deep within that might make us want to be mean to somebody. It is our own selves that get angry with people. As those things happen, Christ always wants us to come to him and be confident that he has our back and will forgive us. Even if we suffer for doing good, we are following the example of Jesus. He did not engage in retaliation. He did not make threats. He endured all the way to the cross and the grave for your sake and for mine. And he rose again from the dead. That has given us true freedom, more precious than anything else in the world. As we live humbly and honorably, we too might have an opportunity to tell about Jesus when people ask why we are living that way. And some might come to believe like we do, to the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ. We live freely and look forward with confidence to the day when he visits us.